0: Sermon text for this morning is from Matthew 24 29 through 31 and 36 through 44. I'll be reading from the ESV. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from from one end of heaven to the other. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah... So will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And then they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know what, on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is the word of our Lord. God bless the reading and preaching of his word.
1: Thank you, Chris. Where do we go when we die? Depending on who it is, there can be different answers to that question. Some people will say, Heaven. Everyone goes to heaven. It's not uncommon when someone passes away for someone to quickly say, oh, well, they're they're in a better place now, and there's just a general assumption that everyone who dies goes to heaven. Some people will say, well, it depends. Where do we go when we die? Well, it depends. Some people go to heaven. Some don't. Some go to hell. Based on what? Well, based on if you were a good person or not. If you did enough good things to outweigh all the bad things you did. I believe generally good people will go to heaven, but it does depend on whether or not you were a good person. There will be others who will also say it depends. Well, it depends. Some people will go to heaven, some people will go to hell, Well, what does it depend on? Well, it depends on whether or not a person accepts jesus as their lord and savior if they if they have christ if they have christ they'll go to heaven and if they don't accept christ then they'll go to, hev- uh, go to hell and then there are others who will answer nowhere they don't, when the when you die you don't go anywhere there is nothing it's just game over often when people hear that question and they give an answer what they're actually answering is another question. When they hear the question, where do people go when they die? What they actually answer is, where do the deceased spend eternity? You see, it's not as though the place where the soul goes after it leaves the body upon death is unimportant, but Christians have historically only viewed the place where the soul goes after departing the body at death as the intermediate state. And the reason it's intermediate or transitional is because of what's to come, what's following that period of time. And the things that are to follow are the return of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, and the final judgment. And on this issue, like so many others, for anyone who calls himself a Christian, it's important not just to ask what we believe as individuals, but what we believe as Christians, what the church lowercase c Catholic believes. That means what Christians universally and uniformly have believed the world over and throughout history and that's what we've been considering this year primarily <coughs> excuse me in this sermon series we believe the beliefs that make us christian and so far we've stated that the church catholic lowercase c meaning universally uniformly around the world and throughout history we've stated that that christians believe the bible is the Word of God. The 66 books of the Bible are the Word of God and they are the authority for all things, the final authority for all things, the rule for life as a Christian, what we believe and how we live. We've also talked about from the Bible how we believe that God is a blessed trinity. God is a perfect trinity. Not three gods, but one God in three persons, co-equal, co-majestic all worthy of worship and glory we've also talked about the fact that god made all things from nothing he made mankind humanity as the pinnacle of his creation to love know and worship him that man rebelled against god that that act of disobedience is referred to as the fall because it separated God and man. Sin separated God and man, and that guilt of sin has been passed down to all humanity so that all people are born sinners and separated from God on account of their sins. We also talked about Christians uh, believe in the person of Jesus Christ, that God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, was made man. He was incarnate or became flesh, that he was conceived. By the Holy Spirit of a virgin, that he was born and that he lived a perfect, sinless life. We talked about the work of Jesus Christ, that after living a sinless life, Jesus went to the cross and he gave himself as a substitute for sinners, that he died on the cross, taking God's punishment for sin, that he was buried and that three days later he rose from the dead bodily, physically and ascended into heaven. Then we talked about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, that God gives the Holy Spirit, who is the giver of life, to sinners to make them spiritually alive, and the Holy Spirit indwells these sinners, marking them or sealing them, that they belong to God and will be with him forever. We talked about the forgiveness of, of sins. Christians believe in the forgiveness of sins. This is the very center of the gospel message that we, though guilty, can be declared innocent because God pardons us of our sins through faith in Jesus Christ. And then last week we talked about the church of the living God, that Christians are not just these individuals floating around out here, each with their own personal relationship with Jesus, but that God has always had a people, <clears throat> excuse me, and that means that God's people, individual Christians, are to assemble and be joined together and gathered together as the church of the living God. Well, today we're going to talk about another of these core beliefs of the Christian faith, the essentials of the Christian faith, and that is the Lord's return. And so, what specifically have Christians believed about the Lord's return? Not, not necessarily everything that you could uh, come up with, all of the different millennial views and, and pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, all but just the the key points, the essentials of belief about the Lord's return. Here's our summary statement. We believe in the return of Christ who is coming again to judge all mankind. Both the living and the dead, who will rise from their graves to receive each one what they deserve for the things done while in the body, the righteous to eternal life, the wicked to eternal condemnation. Now, here's what that means it means that Jesus, who died and rose again, having ascended into heaven, will return from there someday, and that at his return, deceased Christians and Old Testament saints. ...will be the first to be raised bodily from the dead. They will come out of their graves. They will come out of of the ground, out of the sea. Wherever they they died. they will be raised from the dead. That Christians who are alive will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air... ...where they too will be physically transformed. That the rest of the deceased will be raised along with non-Christians who are alive... And that Jesus will distinguish between the righteous and the wicked based on what they have done, and that the wicked will be condemned and the righteous will be rewarded. Now, consider the following quotes as evidence that this is the historical position of the Christian faith. Writing in about the mid-100s or the second century, apologist Justin Martyr meaning someone who defends the faith. Justin Martyr wrote, "'Since then, we prove all things, that all things which have already happened had been predicted by the prophets before they came to pass. We must necessarily believe also that those things which are in like manner predicted but are yet to come to pass shall certainly happen.'" For the prophets have proclaimed two advents, or comings, of his. The one, that which is already past, when he came as a dishonored and suffering man. But the second, when according to prophecy, he shall come from heaven with glory, accompanied by his angelic hosts. When also he shall raise the bodies of all men who have lived, and shall clothe those of the worthy with immortality and shall send those of the wicked endued with eternal sensibility into everlasting fire with the wicked devils. So this is about 150, maybe just 60 years or so after the last book of the Bible is written. Then in the fourth century, the 300s, North African Bishop Augustine wrote, he has come the first time, and he will come again. Let us not resist his first coming so that we may not dread the second. In 2nd Clement, which is also written about 150 AD, roughly 60 years after the last book of the Bible, we have what is believed to be the earliest recorded sermon outside of the Bible. And here's what it says. Here's a piece of it. Let none of you say that this flesh is not judged, and does not rise again. Just think, in what state were you saved? And in what state did you recover your spiritual sight, if not in the flesh? In the same manner as you were called in the flesh, so you shall come in the flesh. If Christ the Lord who saved us, though he was originally spirit, became flesh and in this state called us, so also shall we receive our reward in the flesh. From the writings of Polycarp, also the 100s, we read, Whoever perverts the sayings of the Lord for his own desires and says that there is neither resurrection nor judgment, such a one is the firstborn of Satan. Let us therefore leave the foolishness and false teaching of the crowd and turn back to the word which was delivered to us in the beginning. Tertullian, writing in the 200s, says, Assuredly, as the reason why restoration takes place at all is the appointed judgment, every man must needs come forth the very same who had once existed, that he may receive at God's hands a judgment whether good dessert or the opposite. And then both the Apostles and the Nicene Creed mention the resurrection of the dead, but the Athanasius, Athanasian Creed, which is the third of the four major creeds or, or documents, statements, that the early church put together which represent the great tradition, what Christians believed the early church It goes on in more detail to say, again, the the Athanasian Creed, that Jesus sits on the right hand of the Father, God Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead, at whose coming all men shall rise again with their bodies and shall give account of their works, of their own works, and they that have done good shall go into life everlasting, and they that have done evil into everlasting fire. And because of the outstanding evidence of the church's uniformity on this doctrine throughout the first several hundred years of Christian history, 20th century Christian author C.S. Lewis wrote, If this, talking about the second coming, Christ's return, the resurrection of the dead, the judgment to follow, if this is not an integral part or a key part of the faith once given to the saints, I do not know what is. This thing that is so uniformly acknowledged, if this is not a major component of what we as Christians believe, then what is, C.S. Lewis is saying. Christians throughout the ages have believed that Jesus will return, that there will be a physical bodily resurrection of all those who have died, and that there will be a judgment of mankind based on our deeds but why have christians historically believed this to be true and why do christians continue to believe this to this very day and the answer is because that's what the bible says beginning with our scripture that we heard read before the sermon today matthew chapter 24 we see jesus teaching his disciples quite plainly several details That he will return and everyone will see him. That he will gather his people to himself. That it will be unexpected. No man knows the hour or the day. And that it will bring salvation for some and condemnation for others. Continuing to teach about his return in the next chapter of Matthew's gospel. Chapter 25, we see Jesus say in verses 31, beginning in verses 31, to his disciples, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, all the people groups, every different ethnicity and language group on the face of the earth. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep And the goat. And he will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me, but then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, but why? Because I was hungry and you gave me no food and I was thirsty and you did not give me drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. I was naked, and you did not clothe me. I was sick. You did not visit me. I was in prison, and you did not come to me. And both those on his right and those on his left both say, When were you hungry, thirsty, naked, a stranger, in prison, or sick? When, Lord, were you like this? And we came to you. Or when were you like this? And we did not come to you. And his response to both parties is the same. Whatever you did or did not do for the least of these my brothers, you did or did not do for me. You see, Jesus is teaching that he will return. And he will judge the earth. And he will reward the righteous And he will condemn the wicked. And the apostles understood the meaning of what Jesus was saying. And it's evidenced by the remarks they make in the sermons that we find in the book of Acts. The sermons of both the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. In Acts chapter 10, we see this story that that Peter is praying and he has this vision and through this vision, God is communicating to him that things that had previously been considered taboo and unclean and that Jews were not to associate with, that God was no longer calling unclean. That God was removing walls. He was removing barriers. And right after Peter gets that vision, a Gentile or a non-Jew with association with which would have been considered taboo or unclean shows up and says my master had a vision that you're supposed to come preach the gospel to us so Peter goes to this Jew this non-Jewish man's house and he says you guys know that I'm not supposed to be here as a Jew it's not right for me to hang out with you but I had a vision and and God God showed me that he's removing the walls And then I was supposed to come here. And so then Peter proceeds to preach about Jesus. He says, you yourselves have known. You've heard about Jesus of Nazareth. That he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. That he went about doing good and casting out demons. And that he healed. And that he was then crucified. He was arrested and he was crucified. But then he rose from the dead and he appeared to his disciples. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 42, Peter says about Jesus, and he commanded us, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. You see, telling people that Jesus is the Savior is clearly part of, of the gospel message but so is telling people that jesus is the judge and that he will judge all people later we see in acts chapter 17 the apostle paul show up in the city of athens and as he's going about the city of athens he does what he normally does which is go to where the jews worship those who accepted the Old Testament scriptures as the word of God. And he begins first reasoning there with them that Jesus is the Savior promised in the Old Testament. But then from there, Paul goes out into the marketplace and he begins to to preach to everyone and try to engage everyone, Jew and Gentile, and tell them about Jesus. And so some philosophers and, and key thinkers in the city, they overhear this and they invite Paul, come to Come to the Areopagus. Come to the main place where we talk about philosophical ideas. We want to hear this new, this new religion that you are, are teaching. And so Paul goes and he addresses the crowd and he says, I perceive you are very religious. Your city is filled with, with idols, with statues of, of gods. But there's one that I found that says to an unknown god. And so what you worship as unknown, let me now declare to you that the God who made the heavens and earth does not live in temples made by human hands. And Paul goes on to tell them about the sovereign God who appointed the very times and places that people would live in so that they might reach out to God and find him, though he is not far from them And then Paul says this. The times of ignorance God overlooked. Now that doesn't mean God didn't hold people accountable for sin. It means that God just let everyone go their own way. And they would still be judged for their sin. But they would not be judged for rejecting Jesus. Because Jesus was not revealed to them. But he says the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now... He commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The gospel that Paul preached, the gospel that Peter preached included as a key Point that Jesus, who rose again, was coming again to be the judge. And we can be sure of this because God raised him from the dead. But it's not just these snippets from the sermons of the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter that we have in the book of Acts to base their understanding of this key Christian doctrine on we also see very clearly that this is what Jesus taught his disciples and what they believed based upon the teaching of the apostles in their letters to the churches. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter is addressing Christians and he says, now, there are scoffers. When we talk about the return of Christ, there are people who will say, well, where is this coming back of his? I mean, the world continues to go on and on as it has from the beginning. If he's going to come back someday, where's a sign that something is going to change? And Peter says his response and their response to those scoffers should be the Lord, verses 9 and 10, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient. Toward you not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance but the day of the lord will come like a thief that language that jesus used in matthew 24 and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed peter is saying yes the lord's return is imminent Meaning it is sure. It is coming. You can be confident of that. But it's not necessarily immediate. It's not necessarily just around the corner. But that's by design. It's God's design. It's God's patience. Because God is waiting for the full number of his elect to come in. But his coming will happen. This judgment, it will occur. Unexpectedly. Just like Jesus said and everything is going to be exposed that means there will be no covering no hiding no excuses everything will be laid bare and it will be all the evidence will be laid out there for the judge and the whole jury to see and there will be an accounting there will be a judgment in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 14 through 18 Paul writes For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again which we would say is a that is a key part of the Christian faith right He says since we believe that even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep meaning those Christians and Old Testament saints who have will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul taught the Thessalonican Christians for their encouragement. The purpose of his teaching of Christ's return was their encouragement that Christ will return, that the dead will rise, that Christians who are alive will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Christ's return, the resurrection of the dead, and the judgment were for Christians historically a reason for great encouragement, but also a reason for great seriousness as well. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, this is written by the Apostle Paul near the end of his life. He's in prison. He knows very well that execution awaits him. And so he's writing to Timothy, who has been his assistant in ministry from the time that Timothy was a teenager. And Timothy is older now. And Paul and Timothy have both weathered many storms, literally and and spiritually, metaphorically speaking. And Paul says to Timothy, he's giving him instructions. And as he prepares to, to tell him some things he must do, Paul says, I charge you, In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. You know, people will say like, I swear on my mother's grave or I swear on the Bible. They'll say something like that. And it's meant to give weight to what they're saying, right? What is Paul referring to? To give weight to what he's saying he's referring to the return of Christ and the judgment to come based on this be serious about what I'm about to tell you Timothy nevertheless it's not a scary thing for Christians it's meant to be a sweet thing it's meant to be something to look forward to with longing and love because just several verses later, in the same chapter of the same letter, Paul says to Timothy in verses 7 through 8, again, this is near the very end of his life. He knows that his death is certain. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, because of that, there is laid up for me the crown of of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. What's that day? It's the day of Christ's return. When the dead are raised, Paul knows he's going to die, but he knows he's going to be raised, and he knows he's going to stand before Jesus and be judged, and he's anticipating his reward. And not only to me, he says, but also to all who have loved his appearing, all who have who have considered the return of Jesus to be a sweet thing to be anticipated. And there are many other passages throughout the Gospels and the Epistles or the letters of the Apostles that we could look at that acknowledge Christ is coming again, the dead will be raised, Christ will judge both the righteous and the wicked. There are many passages, but I want to fast forward to the last and final book of the Bible. The book of Revelation. It's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. The unveiling of Jesus Christ. And it's written by John the Apostle. And John the Apostle was the last of the apostles to die. And Christian tradition has it that they tried to boil John to kill him. And that they tried to set him on fire. And he did not die. And so finally they exiled him. I don't know why they didn't try another way. But finally the Roman, the Roman government said, we're just going to stick you over here on this island of Patmos. And you're just going to grow old and die there. And so as an old man, he's praying on the Lord's Day, Sunday, and he receives this revelation from the Lord of Jesus Christ. And in verses 5 through 7 of chapter 1, the, the opening of this book of prophecy, John writes, To him who loves us, he's talking about Jesus, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory glory and dominion forever and ever amen behold he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him even so amen amen means so shall it be let this happen amen come lord jesus To the reader, John affirms in this book of prophecy that Jesus is coming back again. Visibly, the whole world, everyone who has ever lived will rise and see him, their creator. And this is the Christian's hope. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, John continues to Describe everything that has been revealed to him in this vision. And he says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Then another book was opened This is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Part of the revelation that John has includes a universal judgment of mankind based upon their deeds or how they lived and the result of it, either to everlasting punishment or everlasting reward. And at the close of the book, of prophecy. At the very end of the vision, John records the words of Jesus himself who says in chapter 22, verses 12 through 13, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense, my my reward with me to each one, to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus affirms that he is coming again, and it will be a day of judgment from which no one will be exempt. And it will result in either punishment, everlasting punishment, or everlasting reward. Now, there are two objections this idea that Jesus is coming again, and there will be a resurrection, and there will be a judgment. And the first is the the objection that Peter acknowledged that his readers would face, and that is Christians have been waiting for 2,000 years. The very first Christians, the very first generation of Christians anticipated that Jesus would return in their lifetime, but it didn't happen. And then another century went by, and another generation, and another century, and another generation, and then a millennium, and another generation, and a second millennium. And sometimes in a frenzy, in the late 1800s, in the 70s, and 80s even, people have been in a, in a tizzy, anticipating the return of Jesus Christ, and it has not happened So why should I believe that it won't be another 1,000 years or 2,000 years? And it's important to distinguish between the words imminent and immediate. Imminent means it is going to happen. Immediate means right around the corner. The Bible never says his immediate return. But it does talk about his imminent return. And God is outside of space and time. And so God is not on a schedule. So we can be sure that he is coming, even if it doesn't feel like he's coming quickly. But the second objection is about this judgment. Over and over it says that God will repay each one according to his deeds according to his works, according to what he has done. And so someone could say, that sounds an awful lot like good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. Does that mean that we're saved by our works? Does that mean we have to try really hard to be good people, that it's good people who will enter eternal life? I'm really confused. I thought we were saved by faith. I thought it was by grace through faith. But this sounds like it's based upon the good things that you've done and the bad things that you haven't done. And to that I would say what the Reformers said. We are saved by faith alone, but faith is not I want to look at three quick, brief quotes from one one of the fathers of the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, We say that justification is effective without works. That means that God counts us innocent, not because of what we do. But then Luther says, Not that faith is without works justification, right standing with God is not by works, it's by faith. But faith is accompanied by works. Luther also says, it is one thing that faith justifies without works. It is another thing that faith exists without works. Where there there is no works, there is no faith. We are justified by faith, but that faith is accompanied by works. Last, Luther said, idle faith, a faith that bears no fruit, is not justifying faith. You see, Christians who are unfruitful and indifferent and show more devotion to the world and the flesh than the Lord should not use the doctrine of justification by faith alone to excuse lukewarm commitment to Christ faith that does not bear fruit is not saving faith. But Christians who love the Lord and by faith trust that their sins are forgiven and who desire to obey the Lord more and more in spite of their weaknesses, in spite of their failings, can be confident that Christ's Sacrifice sanctifies, it cleanses our efforts. It makes our good works acceptable to God, which indicate that we are God's people and those works will be recognized as good and rewarded by God on the last day. So why does it matter what we believe. Why does it matter that we believe this? That Jesus will return, the devil will be raised, and there will be a judgment. Let me give you three brief reasons. The first reason it matters is because it means that all the bad, all that's sad, and all that's wrong will stop. Amen. The news cycle is continually filled with evil and injustice and crime and brokenness and Every 24 hours, there's a new new list of news stories, and they're, they're all mostly bad. When will this craziness ever stop? It will stop when Jesus returns. Amen. The return of Jesus Christ means all of the brokenness will end. That's why it matters. But it also matters because death will be defeated. From the moment we're born, cells in our body start dying. The process of death begins at birth, and it ends in physical death. And everyone can count on this. We're all going to die someday. But the belief in the return of Christ and the resurrection of the dead means that death is only temporary. That where the soul goes when it leaves the body is only the intermediate state. There is a resurrection to come. Death will be defeated. It will not have the last word. And it also matters because it means that all the wrongs will be made right. All the wrongs will be made right. Some people have gotten away with murder, literally, in this life but all the wrongs will be made right. Their punishment awaits them. Some people have done all the right things, and not only has it gone unnoticed, but they even seemingly have suffered for it. Someday, they'll be rewarded, and all of their efforts will be vindicated. I had a conversation with a friend, not this week, but the week before, and uh, And they had had done some really genuine good things. They would helped some folks out, and uh, they'd been there for someone in a really, really hard time. And then a couple years go by, and that person, who they'd helped out in a really hard time, did some things that effectively communicated to that person I forgot about you. What you did wasn't that big a deal. I'm moving on. And it was related to their job. And, uh, and they just were really struggling. They were really struggling. Like, man, I did all of this. And I pretty much just, just kicked the dirt in my face and walked on down the road. Like, that hurts. And I told that person, I said, I know some of those things were your job, that some of those things were expected, that a person in that position would would do those things. But I also believe that you did those things, not because it's your job. You didn't say, all right, let me just go ahead and do this because it's just what I get paid to do. Uh, No, I believe you did those things because... You knew it was right and because you cared and you wanted to help. And here's what you need to know. That the things that you have done that seem to have gone unnoticed and have been so easily forgotten about may never be remembered by people. But they were seen by God and he won't forget, and you will be rewarded on the last day. The reason why Christ's return and the resurrection of the dead and the judgment on the last day matter is because we can know that the things that we do in this life will be noticed in the eyes of God, whether they're ever noticed by anyone else. This is what Christians believe. Do you believe this? Are you a Christian? Have you surrendered your life to Christ? Have you taken hold of Christ's sacrifice? Have you looked to Christ as your only hope on that day when you stand before God of hearing, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the earth. Do you believe that you will hear those words because Jesus paid your way. Have you surrendered your life to him? And on that day, when you stand before Christ the judge, will there be enough evidence from your life that you were a Christian to prove it? And if you are a Christian, do you love and longingly look forward to the Lord's appearance. We can often get guilty of a mindset of, oh, I hope Jesus comes back, but not till after I get married. I hope Jesus comes back, but not till after I have kids. I hope Jesus comes back, but not till after I have me some grandkids. Or do we long for the Lord's appearing? I, I hope Jesus comes back. And I get to see him in the clouds with all his angels and be joined to meet him in the air. In just a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is only for Christians because it is a remembrance of the sacrifice that Christ made for us. And it is an actual fellowshipping with the spirit of Christ as we eat and drink. But even in the Lord's Supper, we are pointed to the Lord's return. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul tells the church at Corinth that Jesus said, This is my body. Eat in remembrance of me. And Jesus said, This is my blood. Drink in remembrance of me. And then Paul writes, for as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we do what? We proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Even as we believers here today eat and drink, we are doing it with one eye on the elements that remind us of his first coming." and one eye on the clouds from where we await his second. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much that Jesus came. We thank you that he lived the life that we should live but can't. And that he died the death that we deserve to die but don't have to. And that his sacrifice was acceptable. And on the third day, He was raised from the dead. And Father, we thank you that this same Jesus who ascended into the clouds beyond the sight of his disciples by his promise will return from there someday. And so Lord, I pray for every person here who knows Christ and has surrendered their lives to Christ that we would devote ourselves to good works and thereby prove that we are his disciples, making our calling and election sure so that on that day we will hear with confidence, enter into the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the earth. But Father, I pray for anyone here today who has not surrendered their life to Christ or who has made a profession of faith but has been lukewarm And half-hearted and undevoted in their commitment to Christ. I pray for either one, Lord. That today, by your Holy Spirit, you would convict them of their sin and their need. That you would convince them in their heart of hearts that Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer. And that they would be resolved today to commit themselves to Christ. And receive from you forgiveness and love, and acceptance, and peace, and joy, and hope. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.